Uh, like Kyle mentioned to you, alluded to earlier, thank you guys for being here. I know the rain and the Falcons and body body, but like you guys are going to secure in heaven a better place than everyone else. So kudos for that. Um, tonight it's going to be a little bit different, mainly because um, this whole semester has been different so far. Uh, so we rent, this is obviously a government facility, um, and so Christmas Day was on a Sunday, so we couldn't have a service on Christmas Day. Um, New Year's Day was on a Sunday, so we couldn't have a service on Sunday. Then the next week was the 8th, which was the snow day, so we had to cancel the gathering that night. Um, and last week was MLK weekend, so a lot of students had just come home and then went home again, because that's what you guys evidently do. And so, uh, But last week, Kyle Preach was killer. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, go do it and check it out. Um, and so tonight, we've got the rain and the falcons, and so we'll see what comes up next week. But like I said, you guys are the holy of holies, the saint of saints. Kudos. Um, so here's what we want to do tonight. There's not going to be a whole lot of preaching um, because we want to kind of stop and remember and praise God for all that he did in and through us in 2016. Um, not that any of us are like incredible leaders or it's because of us that these things have taken place. It's honest just because God is a really gracious God. And for whatever reason, he's working here. He's doing a lot of things in your guys' lives. And so we just want to stop and give him glory for that. And then we want to kind of take a break and, and look at next year and where we're going and some things that the Lord has really uh, laid upon my heart for the church and where I'd love to see us go. Um, so that's kind of tonight. Sound good? So let's go down memory lane. Does everyone love memory lane? Everyone like that road? No? Yeah? I do. Cool. Thanks for the feedback. Um, here's a couple things that will kind of set us up. Um, way back in February 2016, I don't know if you guys know if this is your first time. If it is, welcome. I don't know how much of our history you realize, um, but we started two years ago. So when we first started, there's a, this divider we used to have up, and then we would take these curtains, and we would put the curtains, you see where the screen ends? We'd put the curtains this way. So like only we met in this part of the room. Um, and we thought we were on fire, man. We thought we were killing it. There's like, this room was full up. We had like 15 people in here. We're like, look how good we are, you know? And so I was walking by somebody at that, uh, somewhere January-ish, and I heard him say, man, we filled this room up. This is awesome. I'm like, no, this isn't awesome. Like, we fill up a third of a third of a third. Like, that this is not cool. So uh, we thought about it. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And we said, uh, y'all ever watch Fixer Upper? Don't lie, dudes, we watch Fixer Upper, it's awesome. Um, you know, like where they move the, like, you ready to see your Fixer Upper? And they move it, and then they always go to a commercial break right there, you know? So we're like, what happens if we were to open up this wall and say, like, here's the job. We're going to fill up both rooms. Um, it's not about, like, feeling good just in a little corner, but we want to fill up this room and then past this. We want to go to a large room, and a large, not for us. Not for our sake, but we never want to get comfortable. Um, where the church gets in trouble is when we stop and we feel, oh yeah, look at what we've done. Look how good we are. We filled up a third of a third of a third. Yay, us. And so we said, let's, let's fill it up. Let's move the curtain. Let's move the wall and see what happens. And then the next week, I was one of our highest attendants ever. Um, and so it's just kind of cool to even be standing here in this room and seeing how God has taken us from this to this to this. Um, so we can stop and celebrate that. Uh, another thing, early on in 2016, we got a grant um, from a Baptist church down the road in Gainesville. And because of that, we were able to hire interns. So uh, Jay and Caleb, where are you guys at? Raise your hand. We were able to fund them because we were never able to fund them by ourselves. 
Um, and we've been able to pay Matthew through that for this entire year, which has been great. And now we're, Matthew's raising support, and we're rolling that over to Ricky. So Ricky will be a part-time family pastor. Um, and there's just so much happening underneath Ricky's wing. Um, the children's ministry has been up and going. It's happening right now. You, saw, you might have seen some of them sneak in here and worship with us at the beginning. Um, but past that, we're getting ready to start the student ministry going into this year. So there was a lot of conversations last year of like, what would it look like, dreaming, putting some leaders into place to make that happen. And so um, we just get to stop and praise God for that. Um, another thing that God did this year, and we're going to break and hear some stories here, is we went from six missional communities to nine. And so I'll talk a whole lot more about missional communities in a second. Um, but what that, I mean, it's just a family. They come together, they study the scripture, they welcome people into that family. Um, and even like, looking forward into this year, um, Matt right here, Marcel, where's, where's Josh? These were the kids. Okay, so like these guys last week started a missional community. And how many people did you have? 11? 15? I was off. Um, look, at, look at me. I'm a pastor and I'm actually shooting below. Like, that doesn't happen. Well, we're a church of like 5,000. They just never show up, right? Um, so anyways, uh, if everyone would show up at one time, that's the line. I always hear. Oh, we run like, never mind, tangent. So these guys started a missional community this year, but the, the coolest part about that is how that missional community got started. Um, so Kyle, raise your hand. He's the uh, one wearing the Falcons jersey. Um, he, their missional community, him and Jen host one at their house, um, and all of these guys got involved with them, right? Am I telling the story correct? Got involved with them, and then uh, Kyle, how many were y'all running, like 27? Um, yeah, and, and yeah. Um, his house is not big enough to hold 27 every single week, uh, nor would many people's house. That wasn't a dig on you. It's just that's a lot of people. And so um, taking that and said, okay, who are the leaders we have in place that could take a missional community to do it on their own? Um, and it was a group of freshmen, a group of freshmen that had seen this, had fallen in love with the vision and said, like, we can do this. Um, and when we were meeting, I've been telling this story all over the place. We were meeting last week with this missional community, and Matt made the comment at the end, like, by the end of the semester, I think we can multiply into three groups. So, like, here's the guy's like, no, I'm, we've multiplied, yeah, but we're ready to multiply again, which is just huge. Um, so, Anna is going to come up and talk a little bit about their missional community and some of the wins that they have seen um, and just kind of what the Lord is doing through them. Uh, is it on? Oh, okay. There it is. Now it is. Woo. Okay. I'm Anna Hanna. Um, I'm one of the leaders in the Sherman Green missional communities. Um, we actually started it last spring because last fall, um, the, us, the three leaders, we were, um, we were part of Jay and Hamby and Canards over in Willow Trace. And, uh, you know, we'd go and it's like, oh, wow, you know, these are a lot of cool people. And then it was like, wow, that's a lot of... A lot, lot more cool people, and you know, kept filling up, and we said, ooh, this apartment is not big enough for all these people. And so um, we started it in the suites on campus, and it was really good. We got a lot of different people, and then Macy and I um, moved to uh, Sherman Green, which is where we're at right now, and Hannah went off to Chicago, so she's gone, but still with us in our hearts. Um, <laughs> So we've got, we've got some cool cats that come to our missional community now. Um, again, it's like a different group. Uh, wherever you go, you get different people, and that's neat to see. Um, all walks of life, freshmen, seniors, um, super seniors, um, military folk, non-military folk. Um, we even had a few 
like international students come because they lived like across the back of our way and we were excited to get them over there. Um, so I don't know what else you want me to say. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess that's uh Thanks. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the, those are the stories we love to tell is, um, yes, we want to start new groups, but the healthiest way to launch missional communities and multiplying out from missional communities already happening. Um, a couple other cool things we saw God do. Uh, we had this idea of like, what would it look like if um, during move-in weekend, um, because when all the students move in, there's a couple of churches and, and ministries and all that that um, really do move in well. Like they buy shirts and they move people in. And so like, we're not going to try to compete over that. Like, and really, I don't like carrying other people's crap. So you've got that good. We'll do something else. Um, can I not be real? I don't want to carry your stuff. So um, what we decided to do is like, what if we did a Labor Day retreat? Um, we'd say like, let's like get all the new students, get all the families and let's go away. Um, but then we really started processing, uh, these students would know us for a week and then they're going to hop in a van and they're going to go somewhere out of state with us, uh, and then drink some Kool-Aid and never come home. It's probably what it's going to look like. So we said, well, what if we just stayed local? What if we did something here? And so during moving, the first week of moving weekend, we did a gathering on campus. So we had like 65 people show up at H&S. Um, and like we did it on campus and we had a couple students that were just like trying to find their classrooms um, and we thought they were coming to the gathering on campus. We're like, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. And they're like, no, we're just looking for our classroom, man. We're freshmen, we don't know anything is. Like, well, come on, come in here. And so um, that was pretty cool. And the next weekend we did a Labor Day retreat, uh, which was all local. We stayed here, we went tubing, hiked Preacher's Rock, just kind of did some fun things. But uh, that was something we never tried and we saw a little bit of fruit from it. Um, another thing, we're pretty young. Obviously, um, we're only two years old, and demographically, we're pretty young, but we've been praying a lot for families. We knew we wanted to, we don't want to be just a college church. We love college students, and we want to unapologetically go after them, but we want more families. We want some older people. We want some gray hairs represented, and uh, we feel like through that, the Lord has started to open that door, and we've seen more and more families get more involved. Um, (laughs) That's you, Dad. He's talking about you. (laughs) So anyways, um, with that, especially because we're young, um, Kyle pointed out a cool thing. Kyle handles a lot of our finances for us. And and we've been able to give away $2,000 this year to help people around town, um, which, I mean, for a church that's not even, or just turned two, we thought that was a pretty cool deal too. Um, But the biggest thing we want to stop and celebrate uh, is something that happened, and we pray that it happens more, uh, but it's something that happened probably October, November. And so I'm going to introduce uh, Marissa and Marcel and just kind of let them share their story of um, what God did and what he's continuing to do. And um, I'll let them tell the story themselves. It doesn't matter if it's a room of 50 or 500. It's still weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So this is Marcel. This is Marissa. Uh, and I'll just kind of let you guys... Okay. Take it from here. Um, I'm Marcel. Um, we are both freshmen, and we met at the beginning of this year, and pretty immediately became really close friends. Um, and one of the big things was that we had both been to Kenya and on mission trips. So as soon as we found that out, we knew that we were gonna we were gonna connect. <laughs> um, I went to the first gathering on campus with people, and I went with a couple of my school friends, and um, that was when I first found the branch, and we really liked it. And so then I started coming the first couple weeks after that, um, and as I got closer with Marissa and Anna, um, I just invited her, and I knew that she had had church in the past, um, and I also had heard a lot of her story. I knew that there had been a lot of things that had happened since then, and I knew that she had grown up in church, but in kind of a lot of ways, 
like it had just become part of her lifestyle and not as much of like a personal commitment. And so then uh, she can tell the rest of the story. <laughs> Hi. Okay, so I have grown up in church all my life and I always considered myself a Christian because that's what I did. I went to church in the womb. So <laughs> that's just how life was. And I never really considered that I might not be a Christian until about my senior year of high school. And I realized that I almost didn't want to be. Like I was okay with the lifestyle. I went to church with my family and it was fine. But the personal relationship with Christ and that part aspect, I just sort of put on hold and was like, nah, I'll get that, I'll get to that later in life. And so going into my freshman year of college, I knew I wanted to work on that more and I wanted to open up that little box I had set aside somewhere else and um, look into finding an actual relationship with Christ. And I didn't really look very hard at first. <laughs> I went to BCM with Marcel the first week and then after that, didn't go again. Um, so my first week was very good. And then she invited me to the branch and I went with her and I really liked it. And I went um, two times and then um, I remember the Sunday that I got saved, and I went to work at Nike, and it was a nine-hour shift, and I drove straight here, and I remember not wanting to come because I had worked a nine-hour shift, and I was hungry, so I called Anna and Marcel, the two best people ever, and they made me a sandwich, and I sat in the service and ate my dinner, <laughs> and I remember the whole time, like, thinking I had a million reasons not to be here, but for some reason, like, I made myself come. And that was 100% the Lord acting in my life because if he didn't tell me to go, then I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> and so I remember just sitting there and Gabe was talking and the thing that stuck out the most is he said, um, I challenge you not to read your Bible for a month. And I just looked at him and I was like, what kind of pastor says that? <laughs> what kind of person challenges you not to read your Bible? And he was like, no, seriously, it might sound strange, but if you feel no different, not reading your Bible, then what kind of relationship with Christ do you have? If you feel the exact same versus reading your Bible every day versus not at all reading it, then are you really a Christian? And then I started to get like the really fast heartbeat and like the sweaty palms and like, aha, <laughs> see, that might be me. And so he continued to preach and I just um, kept hearing a voice in the back of my head saying, uh, now's the time to take me out of the box. And um, God was just talking to me and was like, um, I'm ready for a real relationship with you. Please stop putting me aside. And I got saved. And ever since, it's been pretty cool. I like it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you guys, you can talk a little bit about your missional community now. Like you're helping this, this team start up a new missional community. Um, yeah, so uh, we were all started going to Kyle's missional community, um, and that was really great for us. And then, yeah, it started getting really big. And then <laughs> Kyle uh, approached me and Matt and Josh and said, hey, we're thinking about doing something on campus. And so um, at first it was kind of sad because we had a lot of fun at Kyle's, and um, so the thought of leaving was a little hard. Um, but then me and uh, Matt and Josh and really Marissa and them too started talking about it and how possible it was going to be for us and how excited we all were about this opportunity and how if it was on campus, how many more people we could get to come even just among our friends. And so then this past Wednesday was our first one and we just played games uh, in Hogue in the coffee shop <laughs> and people just kind of walked by and joined us and it was really cool and we had a pretty large number for our first time um, and we I met a lot of new people <laughs> and it was really great. And so this, we're just beginning, but uh, we can already see a lot of things that God's doing through it. So, yeah. We love it. We love it. <laughs> Thank you guys. And so it's stuff like that that... Um, we just want to keep in front of us.
that we want to, again, we're not trying to celebrate how great we are or anything like this, um, but we just want to celebrate how good God is and what he's doing. And so we'll kind of take that segue into 2017. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 3 with me. Uh, Romans 3. While we're doing that, does anyone like just randomly have anything cool to share that you wanted to share? You don't have to be a square. I'll give you a pair. We good? All right. Um, And so, like, if you have any background in church, when I said Romans 3, you immediately knew where we were going to go to. You immediately knew what was going to happen. You know this scripture. And growing up for me, like, I've watched preachers and I watched ministry leaders and I watched people, like, they knew their Bible. They knew Romans 3. They knew all this kind of stuff. And just in my mind, I thought, like, they must have it all together. Like, they, they've got it figured out. They don't struggle. They don't doubt. They don't question. Um, they've just got things figured out. They, they look good. They act good. They just, they've got it figured out. Um, now, like, fast forward to 20 years that I'm in ministry, like, I do life with a bunch of pastors and ministry leaders. That is the farthest from the truth, by all means. And I think a lot of, uh, maybe it was just a cultural time where pastors felt like they had to have it all together. Um, because even in business, like, that's how you led. Don't let anyone see you sweat. That was kind of the mentality. Uh, but now the more I'm doing life with pastors, uh, the more honest and vulnerable these guys are saying, like, no, we don't have things figured out. And we are desperate for the gospel just as much as our people are. Um, and that's the beauty of leading. And so tonight, where we want to start was just kind of the foundation. Uh, because we're all in process here, Right? Anyone else got it figured out? Anybody good? I I will gladly give you the microphone if you have this thing figured out. Are we all in process? We all agree on that? We all have some kind of rough edges? We good? Okay. Um, Because I remember any Braves fans? Braves fans? I know tonight you're all Falcons fans, you bandwagoners. But um, growing up, I'm a Braves fan. I grew up playing baseball. And for one of those, like, vivid memories that really meant nothing until I was writing the sermon, I'm like, oh, this will work. Um, Went to a Braves game. I was probably eight or nine. We got there early, and I was watching them warm up. And I'm thinking, I can literally do everything they're doing. I, th- I don't know what I was thinking or what I was dreaming about of how glorious this moment would be. But during their warm-up, they're doing ground balls. Like, I could, I mean, maybe not from third, but put me on second. I could do that, right? And they're running the bases. I'm like, I, I, I know how to run a base. And they're hitting baseballs at 50 miles an hour. I'm like, I can, I can do all of that. Like, that's, that's me. I can, I can do that. And I was so unimpressed by their warm-up because, like, it just looked easy. It looked natural. It looked basic, if I can say that. And so growing up, like, playing baseball into high school, and then I was in the drum line and all that, um, what I started to understand, there's this phrase that just gets marked into my mind. If you played any sport or anything, you probably heard this. You practice like you play, right? Have you all heard this? You practice like you play. If you go out there and kick dirt and build sandcastles, um, you're not going to play. When you're practicing, you practice like it's a game. You're practicing like everything's on the line. You're practicing your foundation. You're practicing the fundamentals of the sport. Because once you go perform, once you actually go play, if you don't have good foundations, it doesn't matter how good you are. Uh, And even baseball, you take these guys that can hit a home run every now and then, these massive hitters, but they strike out every 60 at bat. But every one, they'll hit a home run. Would you rather have that guy or the guy that can hit it over the first base every single time and get on base? And so as I've been growing up, as I've been learning the gospel and just kind of learning who God is, uh, I just keep coming back to the foundation. 
the fundamentals of the game, if you will, is where life really happens, where things really change. And it's funny because I went through this, and I see working with a lot of college students, college students go through this. You kind of get into, um, oh, I'm a Christian now. I've got this figured out. The gospel is basic. Like, teach me something deeper, pastor. Like, let's, like, let's read some old guys. Like, let's read some old dead guys and what they did. Oh, they smoke cigars. I'm going to smoke cigars. Oh, they did, they did all this, I'm going to go to this. Jonathan Edwards yelled at lost people, let me go yell at lost people. But they don't know what they're yelling, and they don't know what they're talking about. And so you kind of see this trend of like all these old dead people, what they did, and that trend starts to die, and they always circle back to the basics of the gospel. So when we talk about tonight, Romans 3, the foundations, the fundamental of Scripture, it's imperative for us to understand that th- this is it. Like, if we get this, we get everything. If we don't get, we can get everything, but if we don't get this, we miss it. We miss the fundamental foundation of the gospel. Nothing else matters. And so even as a church, we could do, be doing everything right, but if we're doing it out of our own power to appease a God that we believe in, but we're not doing it rooted in the gospel, we've missed it. And you see this constantly. You see this in people's lives. You see this in churches around. If we do not understand the fundamentals, the basic of the gospel, then nothing else matters. And so Romans 3 is where we're going to pick it up. And I love this passage. And again, um, there's nothing deeper than this passage. Romans 3, picking up in verse 23. Romans 3, 23. And like we say every week, there's Bibles on the table. If you don't have one, man, please take that. We want you to have it. We want you to study. We want you to read. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So this is it. Like, if you memorize scripture, memorize this. And if you want to understand what we're about here, it's all this. For we were, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what this... This tagline that we'll talk about tonight is called the Great Exchange. Has anyone ever heard this? A couple theologians have coined this, the Great Exchange. So what he's talking about is we are sinners, right? And here's the deal. I don't have to prove to you that you're a sinner. Some I might have to work a little harder, um, but the majority of us in this room know that like, there's inclinations in our mind that we don't know where they come from, right? Like that We say things or we act things or we think things and go, ooh, where did I think that? Like, we're all capable of doing a lot worse than we probably think. Am I lying? Am I just up here? Like, okay, so there's two kinds of people. Um, you know that you're a sinner because there's some area in your life that you have not yet been able to fix. No matter how long you've been in church, no matter how long you've been alive, um, there's been one area at least that even past post-conversion, after you've been walking in the gospel, um, like Marissa said, even if you were like in church in the womb, there's still at least one area in your life, no matter how hard you've tried to change, you can't do it. Anybody else? There's just something in us every time this area comes up. And, and there's been growth and there's been maturation. There's been change in other areas Some have been from the grace of God. Some have been a hard work, but there's just this one or two areas that we cannot change. And the other one, it's easier to live as a sinner than as a righteous person, right? Like you don't accidentally slide into righteousness. That takes work. But like today, before we came here, when my kids were acting up, I naturally slid into a wicked man, right? 
Oh, I'm the only sinner in here? Come on, give me a break. I have fits of rage swell up inside of me when my one-year-old looks me in the eye after I've told her not to do it and sits in that chair. Oh, son, I don't know what comes over me. But I never slip into, oh, honey, man, let me tell you the riches of the gospel that you don't have to do that. It's, I'm going to hit you so hard, defects might be called right now, right? Like, that's where I go. No one naturally slips into righteousness. We don't naturally just turn into a better person, right? We can fake it. We can pretend that we do. But if we're going to naturally slide one way, which way is it going to be? It's going to be towards the wicked side. Our heart is going to win out. And our heart is wicked to the core. Probably an analogy I need to, to retire because I use it all the time, but I just love it. If we could hook your mind to this projector and put all your thoughts on the screen, who would want to stay in this room to watch that? Because we can all walk around like we've got our stuff together. But if there is a way for us to magnify all your thoughts, all your sin, all your thinking onto this screen, who's staying around for that? Because we're going to get found out. We're going to get told on. Our heart is going to be revealed. That is what it talks about. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We stink. Death stinks. We have an odor around us. And you could put on all the cologne like a middle school boy, and you could spray Axe all over the place. You're going to smell even worse. We try to put on this false maturity of trying to look better than we actually are. You might fool some people for a little while, but you're going to get found out. And it's going to hurt. So what then do we do? For all have fallen short of the glory of God. What do we do? How do we change it? How do we fix it? What does this process look like? And this is where you enter religion. If you tithe well enough, you'll be good. Come here, right here. Come here every single week and serve and volunteer and tithe. That'll make up for your sinfulness. Be religious. Don't let anyone see you sweat. sweat. Act like you've got your stuff together. Don't cuss unless you're by yourself and then you're good. Don't watch rated R movies unless it's about the passion of the Christ. Right? Like all this ridiculous thing that religion dreams up. But that never works and our debt just keeps adding on and piling on. If you think of it that, that because of our sin, we're now in debt to Christ. And every time we sin, our debt gets more and more and more. What do we do? My brother is a business owner. Our brother-in-law is a business owner. And all the time, he'll get people come up and say, hey, man, like, uh, I can't. he works a septic tank company. And so there's times where, like, I've got doo-doo coming out of my drain, and I need to get this fixed, like, today because I can't shower, and this is gross. So they'll, they'll just fix it, whatever. But when the bill comes due, like, hey, I, I, this was an emergency. I had to get this fixed, but I, I can't pay this. Like, what are, what are we going to do here? And my, my brother-in-law gets in a weird predicament of like, I mean, like, I'm sorry, uh, but you have a debt that you now owe me. And typically what happens is the homeowner will look around like, well, I've got a boat. I've got this car I'm not using. I've got a jet ski. I've got this. I've got some jewelry I can give you. Like, can we work out some kind of barter system? Can I give you something other than cash to pay this debt off? And I think that's where a lot of us are in. When we're talking about Christ, we're going, okay, I know I'm in debt, so maybe if I do enough good deeds, I can pay this debt out. Maybe if I uh, do this, maybe if I, like, I'm going to be a pastor, like, maybe that will appease him and over. Like, maybe if I actually read my Bible, that will pay my debt off. Um, but nothing, this is where we have to understand, um, God is a holy God, and he is a righteous God, and he is perfect. 
There's nothing that we own. There's nothing that we can do to pay ourselves out of this debt, no matter what. And us trying just looks a little ridiculous. So we're kind of stuck in this predicament, right? Like, what, what do we do then? Because I'm in debt and there's no way I can pay it out, so I'm kind of stuck. And I love what Kyle read earlier, Ephesians 2. Again, if you're trying to understand the gospel, read that, memorize that, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Because the whole of the first four verses, that we're dead in our sin, we're dead in our trespasses, we can't do anything to fix this. But, verse 4 starts out with, but, God being rich in mercy. So let's pick it up, Romans 3, 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, for whom God put forth as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here it is. That is the beauty of the gospel. We're all stuck. We're all dead. Can a dead man choose life? Right? No. If you're dead in your sin, if you're dead in your trespasses, if you're in your grave because of the sin that puts you there, can you go, I don't want to be dead anymore? No, that would be pretty wild, but that doesn't happen. Right? Like ne- imagine the next funeral you go to, the dude pops up. Man, I tried this death thing. It's not for me. Can I get my old job back? No, that's not how it works. But we are justified by his grace as a gift. So we all fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 and 25, have nothing of your works in that. Have nothing that you can do in that. You fall short, glory of God. We're all born sinners, Romans 5 would talk about, because of the sins of Adam, because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, because of those sins, we're all born sinners. That's what we are, that's who we are, that's what we do. No one taught my one-year-old how to be defiant. It's just in her nature. Maybe my wife did, but that's in, I think it's in her nature. All right? See, that's sin right there. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, debt goes deeper. So we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, here's where a, a lot of people kind of start to misunderstand God. God is a God of love, right? He loves, he cares for, he's merciful, he's gracious. Yes, but you cannot have love without wrath. You cannot separate those two. If you have love, wrath is going to follow. If you have love, wrath is right there with it. Now, I'll give you an example. I've got four kids. I've got a five-year-old little girl, a two-year-old boy, a one-year-old girl, and a newborn girl. If you mess with my kids, I will kill you. Seriously, I will give up this role, and I will sit in prison if you try to mess with my children. It's it's a no-brainer for me. You cannot have love without having wrath, and a good, holy, justified God cannot just forgo sin, cannot just overlook sin. There has to be consequences for sin. And we understand this. Um, what if I was going home tonight on the way to church? There's a GSP sitting on the side of the road. So I called my wife. I said, hey, uh, we can't afford insurance. Go up. Go slow. Um, what if I was going home? GSP sitting there, right? Drive by. Pulls me over. Justified. I was speeding. Um, says, hey, I'm not going to give you a ticket. You're, you're good. Don't tell anybody. But I'm not going to give you a ticket. So one of you guys, uh, Caleb Lamanek was driving because he goes the same way home. He's driving by the co- I call Caleb, hey man, don't worry about that cop. He's not going to give you any consequences. He's good. 
Caleb goes by there, pulls him over. Hey, you're good. Don't worry about it. No consequence for you. I'm just going to overlook this thing. Keep driving. This happens to 300 drivers. 300 people in Lumpkin County get pulled over. No consequences, no tickets, no nothing. And then one day, out of the blue, they said, hey, we're losing money. We should really start ticketing people again. And they start doing it. What's going to happen? Upheaval among the citizens. Why did you not give those people consequences? Why did I get a ticket? This isn't fair, right? If you're going to be fair, if you're going to be just, if anyone breaks the law, everyone deserves the same consequence. But we don't expect that out of God. We say, oh, God, like just, just let it go this one time. It was an accident. I just opened my mouth and that word came out. I don't know what happened. Just forgive me for that. Like, no, forgiveness has to have wrath. You can't separate love and wrath. Your consequences or your sins have to be accounted for. They have to be paid for. It would be an unjust, unloving thing for God just to forego your sin. There has to be a consequence. So this word, probably, you, probably none of you or very few of you have actually studied this word. Uh, but in verse 25, God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation by his blood. So that just talks about the substitutionary sacrifice that takes away the wrath of God. And this is where the great exchange comes from. So this propitiation by Jesus Christ on the cross, the cross is the greatest picture of love and wrath simultaneously taking place. The cross is the greatest place or picture of love and wrath taking place. Why did he pick, why did God pick one of the most nastiest, brutalist murders for this to take place? Because you see, the greatest love, I love my children. I've got to pay for them. But he sees sin and hates sin with everything of his being. And there has to be wrath poured out. There has to be blood spilt. There has to be a consequence for the sin. So God chose Christ to be our sin and we could be Christ's righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the great exchange. Do we have anything to offer to Jesus? Do we have anything to offer to God for our sin? Do we have any way to pay out of our debt? No. There must be consequence for those sins, right? So what takes place? The great exchange, the wonderful exchange where Christ gave his life for us. Martin Luther talks about that we are at the same time righteous and wicked. That's who we are. I think simultaneously at the exact same time, we are wicked, right? I don't have to tell you guys this. We are naturally wicked, but when Christ sees us, we are righteous by his blood. So simultaneously, we are both wicked and righteous. Um, there's a quote that we're going to put on the screen just to maybe make some more sense of this. This is from Luther. That is the mystery which is the rich and divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but Christ, and the righteousness of Christ not Christ but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it, and he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same manner as he grieved and suffered in our sins and was confounded, in the same manner we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. That is the great exchange. Our sin, our wickedness, our depravity for his righteousness and his holiness. So when I stand before you, when you stand, when we worship, um, we are righteous. God has made us righteous for no, nothing we've ever done just because of his love and his grace for us. 
So when Marissa shares her story, and that night there was another young lady named Kayla, when they share their story, when we share our stories, and when we share the gospel, it's, hey, listen, here's what happened. I was a wicked, wretched human being. I had done nothing to earn God's love, but here's what God did for us. He took all that and gave me his righteousness, this great exchange. So not only do I get to go to heaven, do I get to spend eternity with him, uh, but I'm made righteous now. Like, I have the Holy Spirit now. Kingdom has started now. Eternity is here. That's where we get to live. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is what we do. And that is the foundation. That is the fundamental of our faith. And nothing comes bigger than that. Nothing comes before. Nothing comes after. That is the beauty of the gospel. So last weekend, we were down in Savannah uh, for one of the girls, Caitlin. She used to go here now. She got married and she's gone up to Louisville, but her and Ben got married. Um, and I loved it because we've had a couple couples get engaged here. Um, we don't just, is, brides-to-be are so excited, right? They get so anticipated. They get so jacked up. Um, they're just, you can't hold that good news in, can you? Right? Right? Like, you just can't. They're so excited. Hey, I didn't ask if you want to, but you need to look at this ring. Look at this thing. Look, didn't he do good? Didn't he do good? Right? And then you always kind of, like, know who my wife was because, oh, you get married? Yeah. Can I see the ring? No, no. He didn't do a good job, so I'm going to keep this in my pocket because it's not very special. Uh, that was our story, but whatever. It happens. So... <laughs> True. Um, and so, but brides have been like, they cannot keep their energy, they cannot keep their excitement to themselves because there's this anticipation of soon, I mean, I'm, I'm Caroline, can I pick on you for a second? Because you're one of our recently engaged. Uh, do you have a countdown on your clock of your wedding? All right, see, I'm just, just taking a guess. Did I know that before? No, all right, I was just a total shot in the dark, but they're anticipating the day that they walk down, and I don't know for the life of me why she's excited about marrying Caleb. I haven't figured that out, but they're just excited about the day. The anticipation is building till they walk down that aisle, and they can't stop talking about it, and they shouldn't. You should be excited. But for us, if we have this good news of the gospel, and there's going to be a day coming soon where we get to get face-to-face with Jesus Christ, we don't really talk about it like a bride does. I mean, God is always using the analogy of marriage, that we're his bride and he's his groom, and one day he's coming for us. And brides always talk about their wedding day, the consummation of two becoming one, but in the gospel, we don't really talk about it. We don't really share it. We, oh yeah, I'm a Christian now, that's great. What else do y'all want to do? We don't have a Pinterest board about being Christians like brides do about their wedding, right? We don't live in this anticipation of one day we're coming again. One day our husband is coming for us. He's going to take us away. We don't live in that story. We're not telling everyone whether they ask or not. One of, uh, one of the things our missional community did this week was we talked about um, as a family, like do we live well as community? Yeah, we think we live well as community. Our missional community, like family, servant, missionaries. As a servant, like do we serve people well? Yeah, I think I, I understand that. I think we're serving okay. Okay, how do we do as a missionary? Like do we tell people about Jesus as we go? Uh, no, we don't, we don't do that well. I mean, this is what, 15 adults sitting around. No, like that's probably, as our community, that's probably our weakest area and so I've been praying for you guys. I've been, like, I'm constantly trying to like, beg the Lord to give me wisdom on how to lead this church because I don't know what I'm doing. If you haven't figured that out yet, surprise! We're just trying to, like, hold this thing together and let God do what God does. 
Um, but one of the things that keep coming up in my mind, I'm proud of you guys. Don't take this wrong. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm in love with you. I love what God is doing here. Um, but like Matthew 28 isn't our strong suit. Making disciples and sharing the good news of the gospel like a bride sharing about her wedding day is not one of our strong suits here. It's, it's just not natural for us. And I get it. Like, there's some people that are crazy evangelists. Um, praise God for that. There's some people that aren't. And so for us as the branch, we're just, uh, we're just not there yet. In our story, we're not there yet. So, but let me, let me maybe share some statistics that can help this conversation. Um, within a 20-minute drive of right here, 20-minute drive of right here, uh, 18,913 people um, claim zero religion. They want, they're the, the nuns. When they take their census, they click none for religious affiliation. Uh, there are 25,475 people that are not part of any church or religious organization. And there are 32,422 people they're not in any kind of religious service at all. Now, uh, it kind of gets a little weird, the census, uh, because it counts some of the college students, but not all of the college students. So I've kind of done the best to blend these two together. So within a 20-minute drive of here, mixed in with the college students, it's about 46,000 people that are within a 20-minute drive of us. Now, like I said, there's kind of a gray area. How many people did the census count of the college and how many did it not? but roughly around 46,000 people. And that was in 2013. Um, you guys have seen how many people have moved in since then. Actually, you probably haven't, but there's been a lot. So if I've done my math right, and I think, I think it has, I didn't round up, um, that means that within a 20-minute drive with the campus and just around, there's about 26,000 people um, that, that don't know the good news of the gospel. 26,000 people that don't know about the great exchange that they're still in that category of how am I going to fix my life? How am I going to do these things better? Like, my life just seems to have no hope sometimes. What, I'm just going to keep on pressing in. And I know a lot of us can share in that, the despair of what life without the gospel looks like. 26,000 people. 26,000. And so for us, there, there's two, two stories simultaneously happening here. Um, there's the 26,000 people that, I mean, if I can just be so bold, um, that are going to die and they're going to go to hell and they're going to be separated from Christ for eternity. 26,000 people. But there's also 80 to 100 people in here that when we start doing what the Father's asked us to do, we'll have an intimacy level that we've never experienced. Um, I, I'm, I'm a deer hunter, just always growing up deer hunting. But when I was little, um, I didn't go deer hunting because deer hunting was the most exciting thing. I couldn't really hold a gun um, because I was four, five, six. I couldn't shoot a deer. Um, the reason I went deer hunting was because my dad was going, and I wanted to be with my dad. I loved my dad. I grew up like, so if you're going deer hunting, Dad, I want to go. I'm going to go in the freezing cold. Um, a bunch of old people are going to cook breakfast for me, which is all going to be spicy. And now, like 25 years later, I still can't eat spicy food because of it was ruined as a kid because of that. But, but Dad, if you're going to be there, I want to go do what you're doing because I want intimacy with my dad. And Henry Blackaby says to, to gain intimacy, find out where God is at work and join him in it. So if Matthew 28 calls us to make disciples, that's where God is working and so for us, there's two things. Yes, there's 26,000 people that need the gospel, but for the life of our church, I want a lot of us to get out of the high-rise nosebleed sections and get into the game. 
And stop sitting and observing and watching. If I could just take a poll at some part in your Christian life, you've probably been really bored with the church and with the gospel because you didn't see any point. Like, oh, I, like, I've read my Bible, I don't really see, like, I've gone to church, but, like, the pastor's kind of weird, and, like, I just don't really understand the point of all this. It's easy to be a critic from the nosebleed section. I mean, when you go home tonight, oh, my goodness, all the tweets are going to be going on about the Green Bay Packers should have done this, and the Green Bay Packers should have done this, from guys that have never played football a day in their life. So you can watch film, so you can watch the game, but you've never actually been a part of it. And so for a huge, yes, 26,000 people, but what I want for our church is to get out of the nosebleed section and get in the game. Your, des- your desire to study scripture is going to grow when you're actually having to use what scripture has asked you to do. Your love for the Lord is going to grow when you're actually doing what he's doing. Your maturity is going to blossom when you actually start being obedient to what he's asked you to do. I mean, there's just, it's just a basic, we understand this in all of life. If I give you a chore, and you don't complete that chore, I'm not going to give you the next chore. Right? If I, I mean, uh, Matthew is a perfect example. Where's Matthew? Um, so Matthew picked up a desk for my wife yesterday, whatever. Um, but I did, if I, we paid Matthew because I really didn't want to go pick up the desk, and so Matthew was looking for money, and it was great. Um, So if I, Matthew came over without the desk and sat there and said, hey man, when are you going to pay me? Like, when are you going to give me the next job to do for you? I mean, you haven't delivered the desk. Go deliver the desk, and I'll pay you. Oh, okay, I got you, I got you, okay. So Matthew disappears for a while, he comes back, no desk. Hey man, what's the next job? What you got for me? Bro, go get the desk. Like, go Get the desk. Bring it here. I'm on it. I'll be back. Goes to, comes back. Hey, what's the next job? I heard you, have, you want me to cut your grass, 50 bucks, something like that? Matt, where's the desk? Like, give me, the, but that's, how many of us is that in the gospel? Go make disciples. All right, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. What do you want me to do? Go make disciples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Where else do you want me to go? What else do you want me to do? You want me to go serve over here? No, like, go make disciples. That's what we do. So here's, here's kind of where we're going. I'll start landing the plane a little bit. Um, our vision for this year is one for one, right? I mean, how churchy does that sound? One for one. We want you as an individual to share the gospel and walk in discipleship with one other person this year. One for one. I think we've even got a cool little logo. Whoo, we're official. One for one. Because here's, Jesus didn't tell us to just go blindly share the gospel wherever you go. He called us to make disciples. So we don't want to differentiate those two. But discipleship starts with sharing the gospel. So one for one, if what would happen if, I mean, there's 50 people in this room. What would happen if we all, one for one, we shared the gospel with one person? And we started loving and encouraging and supporting one person this year in their walk with Christ. What would happen? Let me be clear. No matter how good you do it, how well you do it, how well you articulate it, salvation does not come from your words ever. Salvation is from the Lord. So I'm not saying, one, here's your goal, I want you to convert one person this year, because that is not possible. You cannot do that, you'll never be able to do that. Go ahead and take that pressure off of you. If you listen to a lot of testimonies of people sharing the gospel with someone, like, man, I stuttered and stammered my way, hey, well, all the way through it. Like, I figured, I didn't, I finished, I didn't even know what I said, but somehow this person accepted Jesus. 
Like, how did that happen? I literally just like said and 12 times. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I want to be a Christian. What? I didn't say anything about Jesus. So it's not has nothing to do with the way you do it. Has to take that pressure off. That's not that. It's not what we're trying to get you to do. But we care about the 26,000 and we care about you and our flock. One for one, we want to challenge everyone that's part of this church to share the gospel and to love on and encourage. The awesome result would be to see one-for-one salvation this year, that you lead someone to Christ this year. But that's not on us. What's on us is being faithful to make disciples where we go. Now, there's four people. Now that I said that, here's one-for-one. Here's where we're going this year, and we'll be talking a lot more about this as the year goes on. Um, there's, there's four kind of people in this room. Uh, number one is the skeptic. Like, I don't even know if I believe in this. Like, this whole one-for-one one is not for me because I'm still doubting if I even believe in the gospel. Man, you're in the right place. You're good. Don't, don't worry about this. Keep coming around. Get involved in the missional community. Uh, keep talking to us. That's it's great. This is, this, you're right. This is not for you. You're the second one. We're glad that you're here. We're going to keep loving on you and encouraging you. But if you're a skeptic, if you don't believe this, then yeah, like, this is not for you. This, the second one is kind of like maybe the new believer. You're just kind of figuring this thing out, um, and you are terrified at the notion of, uh, like, what do you want me to do? Because I literally don't talk to anybody, ever. Like, I, like, my mouth does not open. Like, I am the introvert of introverts, Right? Um, this is not political, but it just cracked me up uh, with all the marches and all the things going on with the, after the inauguration. Um, someone said, I'm an introvert and I'm here. This is bad, <laughs> right? Like, that's you. You're just a crazy introvert. You don't talk to anyone. You don't like anyone. You're, that's fine. I'll talk to you in a second. Uh, maybe you're the third person. You're the maturing believer. You're like ready to do this. You're excited about it. Once I said one for one, you're like, oh yeah, here comes the thunder. Jesus is speaking, Right? No, you're excited. You're like, man, I've always wanted to actually do this. I've always wanted to be better at sharing the gospel with people, but I just didn't really know how. But like, I'm excited about this one-for-one one challenge. I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Uh, and I know we have some that are this fourth category. It's like one-for-one. One, like, I've already done that 30 times this year. Like, my goal is to lead someone to Jesus every day. What are you talking about one-for-one? One? It's like, okay, there's a wide spectrum here, I, and I get it. And if you're that number four, like, keep going and help us get better at it. And if you're that skeptic, if you're number one, man, I'm grateful that you're here. Keep pressing in, keep asking questions, keep getting involved. But if you're in those middle two, that this terrifies you to death, that you're terrified of the fact of actually sharing the gospel, um, or you're excited about it, you're kind of antsy about it, but you're like, you just don't really know how, um, we'll just kind of segue into the last part. Um, this is why we do what we do. This is why we have a Sunday gathering. This is why we do DNA groups. This is why we do missional communities, to equip you guys to do this. So if you're terrified, if you like, I want to do one for one, but like, I don't really know how, I don't really know like, what to do, can you teach me? Yeah, that's the point of this. That's the point of the church is to equip the saints to do this, to make disciples where you go. And so the first thing is here, like keep getting plugged into the Sunday gathering because every single week we'll worship together, uh, we'll praise together as a church. We'll get um, connected to the Father through that. Um, We'll also listen to teaching, whether it be me or someone else, that hopefully grow us in our maturation. Uh, But there's also just community here. There's a way for you to respond, whether it be communion, whether it be getting more involved, um, whether it be giving, whatever it has, um, there's a way for you to participate. So keep getting involved here. 
Uh, we also have DNAs, and you can go on our line, online, branchdelonica.com, and find all this stuff. Uh, with our DNA groups, it's like three, four, maybe five. Um, we separate them by gender, so either guys' groups or either girls' groups. And in there, three things take place. You learn how to study the Bible. Um, you learn how to pray together as a, as a group. Um, and you learn how just to be honest. You learn that as you're talking, as you're doing life really deeply with three to four people, uh, that we all struggle with the same thing. We all have the similar doubts, that we all have the similar struggles, that we can all confess sin in this group because we're all going through the same thing. And we learn just to be honest. Because if we're not honest about the gospel, if we're not weak in ourselves, like, hey, I cannot do this, then God doesn't get his glory. If we think we can do this on our own, then we're getting into like semi-Pelagian and, and it's just wrong. You cannot do this. So the part of the DNA is just getting together, learning how to study the Bible, learning how to pray, but they're just learning that like we're all in process and that's okay. We can talk about sin and we can talk about struggles. And the last thing we do is our missional communities. Within missional communities, it's a little bit bigger. It's both guys and girls. You've heard that lingo a lot tonight. Uh, but within a missional community, it's just a family of servant missionaries. So we do family well. We eat meals together. We hang out. We go into homes or go into dorms. We're just a big family. We love on each other. We encourage each other. I know some of you have kind of come from maybe like a, a broken background where the word family doesn't really appeal to you. Uh, but we try our best to make this a God-honoring family, with like a real loving on, encouraging kind of family. But we're also servants. We look for ways to serve our community. We look for ways to serve each other. A couple things. Um, Matthew Thomas, is their missional community, is starting to get involved in serving Northern Star, North Star, North Star, um, which is a home that transitions ladies out of foster care into adulthood. Or Caleb Hamby's missional community, every Friday they deliver food to those that like, don't have it throughout the weekend. So students that are on... Um, reduced lunches and free lunches, that's typically how they eat throughout the week. So when it's Saturday and Sunday, they don't typically have food in their homes. So Caleb Hamey's missional community partnered with Family Connection, and they deliver three to four um, baskets of food every Friday so that these families can have food throughout the weekend. So part of missional communities is just serving and loving on our community. But then the last part of missional community is family of servant missionaries that we do love, and we throw parties, and we invite lost people in, and we learn to articulate the gospel and share the gospel with people. So, I mean, one crazy idea our missional community had Friday is like, what if we threw a father-daughter dance here, like literally in this room, and use it as a way to build relationships and share the gospel with dads and daughters that maybe don't know the gospel. Maybe they're part of this 26,000 people, right? So that's kind of what we do. So, um, one for one, that terrifies me. I don't know. I'm not equipped. Great. Get involved. Go online. Sign up. If you want more information about missional communities, there's a place for you to do that. If you want more information about DNAs, if you want more information about Sunday gatherings, we're going to be at the welcome table after this. But we know that one for one can be scary. And we're not saying, you better do this or else. That's not the point of tonight. The point of tonight is, here's where we're going, and we want to help you get there. We want everyone in this room, yes, we care for the 26,000, and yes, we care about your maturity as a Christian. So we want to do this together. So here's my question. As I'm talking, uh, for some of you, you probably already know that person. 
You know that. Who's that one for one? Who am I going to share the gospel with? Who am I going to love? Who am I going to encourage? Who am I going to invite into our missional communities? Who am I going to invite into this gathering? Who am I going to actually articulate the gospel to? Some of you know that person already. As soon as I'm talking, yes, I know that guy. I know that girl. Um, I need to take this serious. I'm, I'm going to do this. If not, like, let's begin. The first process is just praying that the Lord would reveal that person to us. Who are we going to share this with? Who are we going to? I mean, because I'll just lay my cards on the table. I'm a pastor, which means I hang out with a bunch of Christians. I hang out with you guys. So for some of us, I'm going to have to get outside of my circle. I have to get more involved in the gym that I work out at or more involved in the neighborhood that I'm in or more involved in the soccer team that I coach for my daughter. I've got to get outside of my circle to start finding these people to love on and share the gospel with. So maybe if you're with me, like you don't naturally rub shoulders with those that might not know Jesus, how can you get out of your circle of influence to do that? Who is that person? But here's how we close tonight. We always close with communion. Um, but communion tonight means something a little different because here's where I want to be dangerously uh, careful of. We talk about and we want to one for one and we want to share the gospel because of how great the exchange was, not that we earned the exchange. Are we tracking? Like, like I have to be crystal clear with this. We take communion. We're doing this one for one because of how great the exchange was, not that we earned the exchange. So when we stop to take communion in a second, we're doing this to remember how great our God is. That even though we were caught in our sin, even though we can never pay our debt back, um, he came to this earth and he took all of our sin, he took all the wrath that we deserved, and that's what we literally what we celebrate. We break the body of Christ and we dip it into the juice which symbolizes his blood because of his great love for us. So please don't misconstrue this. That if you do this one for one, if you share the gospel, if you love people well, then that way you'll earn your salvation or God will love you more. That is impossible, and that is a lie, and that is heresy. Please do not hear me say that. So maybe the first step for some of us in the room is we need to understand how marvelous the great exchange was. That when we stop tonight to take communion, we need to really ponder on the fact that why would a God die for me when he didn't have to? That why would, I mean, he would be fully justified in his wrath to just destroy everything and be done with it because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Why would he instead send his son to take our place on the cross? Like this great exchange, if it doesn't reveal some kind of questioning and mystery about us, because yes, I would die for my family, that's probably it, right? And maybe some of my close friends, but pretty much anybody in prison, I'm, I'm good. Pretty much like any of my enemies, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Pretty much anybody, you know, like, there's, there, no. I love you, maybe, but I'm not going to die for you. So if we don't stop to ponder on this great exchange, why would a perfect holy God send his son, perfect and holy, to die for us? What is the point of this exchange? And when we start to ponder that, that starts to well up some emotion and some feelings and some, I mean, talk about being loved. It's easy for us to understand love when we deserve it, when we've done something. But when someone loves us when we haven't, that idea of grace should just blow our mind.
And so when we start this one-for-one one campaign, this one-for-one one initiative, whatever kind of, whatever language, I don't care. When we start pressing in on this, this is never about earning God's favor. This is a natural response of the great exchange he's done for us. So let us start there. I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up communion. And this is where this starts. That how much God first loved us. We love now because of how much he first loved us. That's where this one for one, that's where sharing the gospel, where that's where making disciples starts. And if we do this out of our own energy, we're going to get tired, we're going to burn out, and it's not going to mean anything. But if we do this naturally because of how much he first loved us, then it really starts to click and make sense. So tonight, before we even think about making disciples and going from here, let us take 10 minutes to stop and ponder the love of Christ through communion. If you're not a believer, if you're one of those skeptics that's got questions, then I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, but this communion is for the believers, that for those that really believe and understand and have faith in who Christ is. So if you would just let us participate in this, that would be awesome. But here's where we are. As we start off this year together, as we think like I'm going to disciple one person this year into the gospel, we always come back and start with our fundamental foundation that's because Christ first loved us. So let me pray. Um, Jesus, we, we don't understand you. Uh, God, we, we have questions. That how could you, a loving God, give up your son to die for us? That how could you who is perfect, die for those that aren't. And God, because we, we deserve our consequences. We have messed up. We have sinned against you. Um, we have defamed your honor and your glory. We deserve your wrath. But you're rich in mercy. But your love and your grace covers us. You made another way for us. When there was no way, we could not pay our debt back. And you said, no, no, no. That's my son. That's my daughter. I love them so much that I'll send Christ to die in their place. That I will set up this exchange of their sin and their wickedness for my son's righteousness. And they will be made whole again. They will be made perfect again. That because of how just and loving I am, I cannot deal with sin. I will send Christ to be sin for them so we can have community again so that when they pray, I will listen. Even though we as humans can do nothing to earn God's love, he did everything to make a way for us. And Father, let us be like that bride that we cannot keep this excitement in. God, let us be your sons and daughters that are so excited to talk about the goodness and the gloriousness of you. As 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that we did nothing to do this, nothing to earn this, 
It was all by you and your goodness and your graciousness and your love for us. And so tonight, would this be a reset button for us? As we think on 2017, as we start to pray for the one that we want to share your love with, that we want to disciple, that we want to encourage in your faith, God, could we stop before we even get there just remember how good you are through communion? Could we ponder and meditate and think on you picking up that cross and carrying it to your death knowing full well that you were doing that to create a way for us when there was no way. God, we we thank you. I mean, there's just not words enough to describe that all that you've done for us. Thank you just seems to ring empty when we think about all that you've done and all that you've accomplished for us. So God, we we do love you and we're grateful for all that you've done. Um, But Father, let us understand fully how much you love us. Let us stop trying so hard to earn what's already been earned. Let us rest in and be encouraged by your love and your grace for us. So God, it's only by that, it's only by what you've done for us that we can even talk, that we can even communicate, that that my prayers are heard by you. And for that, Jesus, we say thank you and amen. So communion is now open as we just start to meditate all that he's done for us and we will continue into worship.